morning. How are we? Yeah, all right. Good. Good to see you guys. Great to be back with you. Thanks for letting me take a break and have a little bit of a vacation. You know, I told you the last time I went on vacation, came back, the church went country. If you were there for that Sunday, it was an awesome Sunday. Uh, But it's good to be back with you today as we begin a new series. So we're going to start a new series called Cultivating a Life with God. Cultivating a Life with God. And I'll just kind of give you where I'm headed and why I want to do this series. Uh, We've got a lot going on. Uh, Life, there's a lot going on in life, a lot going on in our church, a whole lot of things happening in life. And, And here's just my heart for you, my heart for me, my home for our church is, man, that we would be a church that prioritizes Jesus above everything else. As a matter of fact, I think we have to be a church that prioritizes Jesus above everything else. And so when life is throwing all these things at us, man, let us be a church that prioritizes him above everything else. That's kind of the heart, that's my desire is that he would be the priority. I don't know if you remember this, but a couple months ago, Matt was preaching and and we were in that study of Colossians and... um, Chapter one, Paul challenges us and he says that Christ ought to be preeminent. Y'all remember that? The preeminence of Christ? Preeminent just simply means priority. And so ever since then, it's just challenged me of like, man, is Jesus the priority of my life? Is he the priority in my home? Is he the priority of our church? And, And I started thinking, I was like, you know, a healthy individual is somebody who prioritizes Christ above everything else. And if, and if that's true, then a healthy church is a church that prioritizes Christ above everything else. And so if we're going to be a healthy church, then we've got to be healthy individuals who prioritize Christ over everything else. And so over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're diving into is how do we do that? How do we cultivate a life with God where Christ is the priority of our lives? So this morning, as we kick off this series, we're going to... We're going to go through a familiar story about Jesus and a few of his friends. We're going to talk about Jesus and some of his disciples. You may recall, right, that Jesus has called some ordinary folks, right? These are not super spiritual people. They're just ordinary people like you and me. They're fishermen, right, who Jesus sees out in a boat and says, hey, come follow me. And what do they do? They drop their nets and they come follow Jesus. They're just ordinary people who have ordinary things going on in their life, just like you and me. And yet they follow Jesus. It's pretty cool. Uh, and part of getting to follow Jesus is that they get a front row seat to some pretty wild things. In fact, what we're going to look at today um, is the scene that happens just after Jesus feeds what some have argued to be 15,000 people. Maybe you recall that story, right, where Jesus has the multitude on the banks of the sea and he's preaching and recognizes that they haven't had anything to eat. And so what does he do? He takes five loaves of bread two fish, and he feeds again 15,000 people. And what's crazy is he still has some left over. The text says that they ate till they were full and they had plenty left over. Can you imagine that? Standing there, experiencing that firsthand with Jesus. But it's coming off of this high that Jesus' disciples allow their circumstances to distract them from the priority, the priority being him. 
And, and I think it's true of us as well, right? We, we can allow things ha- that happen in our life, the circumstances that surround our lives to shift our focus away from him as our priority and onto these other things. In fact, this morning, I'm going to share four things with you. So if you're taking notes, um, we're going to talk about four things that have the power to shift your focus away from Jesus and onto other things. And again, if we're going to live a life that uh, is walking with God, then we've got to make him the priority. So we need to talk about these four things. And here's the first one. You ready? Here's the first one. It's kind of strange. The first thing in your life that has the power to shift your focus off of Jesus and onto something else is your own success. It's your own success. It's your own well-being. In fact, you're going to see that in Matthew chapter 14. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. You're going to see that it's our success. Oftentimes, it has the power to shift our focus away from our priority, away from Jesus and onto other things. Matthew chapter 14. In verse 22, again, Jesus has just fed the thousands. And in verse 22, it says, immediately after that, so right after Jesus has done that, he makes the disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side of the sea while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed them, notice what Jesus does. He went up to the mountaintop to pray. You know, one of the really cool things about the Gospels is that they are inspired, they're written by the Holy Spirit. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 reminds us that the Holy Spirit carried all the different authors who wrote the Bible, carried them along, he used them and wrote the, the very Bible that we have, the scriptures that we have today are written by the Holy Spirit. But when he did that, he used the perspectives and the personality of the different writers. In this particular case, Matthew is recording this particular story from his vantage point. Luke has a very similar recording. If you were to read the book of Luke, you could go to this story and you would see a very similar recording of of what Matthew says. Luke's very similar. But John adds a little flavor. I like John. Actually, John's probably my favorite gospel. But but he kind of adds a little bit of flavor to the story because he answers the question, why in the world, after all of that, did Jesus go get alone and be with the Father. Here's what John records in chapter 6, verses 14 through 15. Here's what John says. He says, when the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and to take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew himself to pray. You know, I think in life, we've probably all had those mountaintop experiences, haven't we? Those kind of miraculous moments, those mountaintop high-level experiences where things are really going well. Maybe you're experiencing extra favor at work. Maybe your grades are really good. Maybe marriage and relationships, they seem to be thriving. You know, maybe for our students in the room, you got back from, from youth camp and man, you're on fire. You're pumped up. God did something really amazing in your heart and your mind and your life. Uh, while you're at camp and you come back and you're riding the high. I think if we were honest, I think it's when times are going really well, maybe we're experiencing that extra favor, that success, that we start thinking, oh, man, I got this. You've been there? 
where you, oh man, things are going well and you start thinking for whatever reason, man, I, I got this. You know, I don't know that we consciously would admit this, but I think oftentimes it's in our success. It's when things are going well where our eyes start drifting away from Jesus and onto other things, whether it's ourselves, whether it's our own effort, we begin to lose sight of Jesus. As I was writing the sermon, it's kind of funny, I was writing this sermon on Tuesday, actually, and somebody very important to me, very special to me, sends me this text. She was uh, listening to a particular uh, sermon that really blessed her, and, and, and she sent me this text. It was a quote from President Eisenhower, and it fit perfectly with this. Here's what President Eisenhower said. He said, in the swift rush of great events, we find ourselves groping to know the full sense and the meaning of the times in which we live. In our quest for understanding, we beseech the guidance of God. In our regular everyday language, here's what he's saying. He says, listen, when things are going well, it's easy to neglect God by becoming distracted by our own success. See, our success oftentimes clouds our vision of God. I want you to see, this is pretty cool, I want you to see how Jesus handles success. See, Jesus never loses sight of what's most important in his life. Remember, Jesus has just performed this incredible, incredible miracle, right? He's taken five loaves of bread and two fish and fed 15,000 people. That's an incredible miracle, something that on this side of eternity, I can't even imagine experiencing. He's just done all of that. And what did the people want to do? They wanted to make Jesus king. Right then and there, they wanted to crown him king. They wanted to make him famous. But notice that in the story, that Jesus never loses sight of what's most important. Rather than allowing him to make, rather than allowing them to make him king, Jesus withdraws to be with the Father. He leaves the crowd to get alone with the Father. And I think it's because it's the time with his Father that puts success into focus. It's Jesus' time with the Father that brings his success, the things that he's experienced, and even for the disciples, it brings it back into focus. You know, if we're not careful, we can allow our success again to shift our focus and trick ourselves into believing that we're taking steps forward, but in reality, for every step we take forward, we're taking two steps back when our focus isn't on Jesus. Now, I want you to see something because this is, this is pretty wild. So Jesus, again, fed the 5,000 or 15,000. Just after that, here's what, what Matthew records in verse 24. He says, by this time, Jesus sent the boys into the boat and, and they get in the boat and they're a long way off from the land. And the text says that they're beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. So Jesus gets along with the father. He sends the boys to hop in a boat, go out onto the lake, and he's going to meet them on the other side. But the text says that as they do that, they're, they're taking on wind, they're taking on waves. It says that everything, the wind was, was against them to the degree that they just felt beaten up. I started thinking about that and I thought, man... Boy, I've been there before. You ever been there before? Where in life you just feel like, golly, man. No matter what I do, it seems like the wind and the waves are against me. Everything's against me. Even for these disciples, right? They're doing exactly what Jesus has told them to do. 
Jesus said, go get in the boat. What'd they do? They went and got in the boat. Right, they start rowing. Well, Jesus, this is what you told us to do. And yet, even despite that, it seems like everything's against them. The wind and the waves are against them, which leads us to point number two. When we start talking about things that can shift our focus, number one, you see that oftentimes it's our own success, it's our own well-being. But number two, sometimes it's things that are just out of our control. They're just out of our control. Again, Jesus sends them out on a boat and they experience something that they can't control. They hop in the boat just as they were told and the storm kicks up over the sea. And because uh, they don't have the weather bug app like you and I, I don't know if you've got a weather app or you got a weather app on your phone, you can see when wind comes up. They can't do that, right? So they hop on the boat just like what they're told. They get out there and all of a sudden they experience a storm. They experience something that they can't control. You know, when I start thinking about that, I think about all the different ways in which you and I experience circumstances that can shift our mind off of Jesus, shift our vision off of Jesus. These are things that you can't control. This would be like, it'd be like getting diagnosed with lung cancer when you've never smoked a day in your life. It'd be like losing your job because of the economy. It's something that you can't control, right? It'd be like getting that brain tumor cancer and you think, where in the world did that come from? It's like losing a loved one unexpectedly. These are the things in your life that have the power to shift your focus away from Jesus onto your circumstances. These are things that you can't control. But notice here, this is really neat. In verse 25, I want you to see what happens in these moments when we find ourselves in circumstances that we can't control. Here's what happens. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, so they're out on the boat, in the fourth watch of the night, notice this, Jesus came to them. The text says that he was walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and they said, oh my goodness, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I want you to see this morning, because I think this is important, that Jesus is not aloof to the things that are happening in the boat. Jesus is not aloof to the things that are happening in the boat. In fact, he sees all that is coming to them. He knows exactly what's happened to them. He knows that the boat is beaten by the waves. He knows that they're exhausted trying to get to the shore. He knows that these are things that they can't control. And yet Jesus goes to them. He meets them in the middle of the storm. And yet when they see him, they become terrified thinking that he's a ghost. And the reality is, is that they had allowed their circumstances to cloud their vision so much so that they couldn't see Jesus in the middle of the storm. You ever been there? Where your circumstances are so thick, so heavy, and they just cloud your vision. Things that you can't control. Where is Jesus in the midst of this? I hear you tell me that he loves me and that he's with me, but I don't see him. Even the disciples had experienced that in this moment. Where is Jesus when we need him? And yet he comes to them, but yet their circumstances cloud their vision away from what is most important, and that is him in their life. And look at Jesus' response. Notice that he doesn't rebuke them, but rather the text says immediately. I love that. Immediately Jesus spoke to them and he says, hey, listen, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. 
In moments when we find ourselves caught in the noise of the storm, this is a great reminder that you and I, in moments of fear, anxiety, concern about the waves and the wind that are surrounding us, these things that we can't control, we can hear that small, still voice say, hey, take heart, it is I. You know, I love uh, John 16, 33 that reminds, or Matthew 16, 33 that reminds us that Jesus tells, he says, listen, in this world, you're gonna experience trials and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The one who has overcome the world is in your boat. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to think that in the storms of life, when we're rowing and we're trying to do the best that we can, trying to make the right decisions, trying to keep everything together, still rowing, keeping everything, to, keeping everything in the right direction, storms, wind blowing, that the one who has overcome the world is right there rowing next to you. Man, that's a great reminder. I love what happens next. It's the story of Peter. You know Peter, everybody knows a Peter. Jordan often says that I'm a Peter. I don't really know what she means by that. Um, but she's, she's probably right. You know, Peter being his um, confident and whatever Peter is, self, sees Jesus coming, right? And he says, Jesus, if it's you, if that's really you, then call me out onto the water and I'll come to you. And so Jesus says, well, all right, come on out, Peter. And so Peter hops out of the boat. Wind, waves, all the stuff's happening. He hops out of the boat. But it's interesting because this is where it all goes south in verse 30. Here's what John says. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. As long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was doing just fine. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, that's when he began to sink. This is the third way that we can lose our focus from making Christ the priority of our lives by cultivating our life. The third way is that it's the circumstances that we can control. So we've already talked about our success. We've talked about the things that we can't control. Here, these are the things that we can control. These are the things that we've allowed into our lives based on personal choices. Maybe this would be like getting that Diagnosis of lung cancer after smoking for 50 years. Your personal choices have led to that diagnosis. You're now experiencing wind and waves because of the choices that you've made in your life. This would be like losing a job for not showing up to work on time or spending all your time at work scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is that we do wasting our time. It'd be like Filling that test that you didn't study for, but you showed up just 15 seconds before the test and you're doing that like last minute prayer. What, you've never done that before? Be that moment where you're like, oh dear Lord, please help me. And you didn't even study. It's like, my goodness, help me out. You know? These are those things that in your life that you can control. This would be like that relationship or that marriage failing because of the poor choices that you've made. That emotional affair those eyes shifting to things that they shouldn't have shifted to, the neglect of that relationship, right? These are the things that you and I can control. This is exactly what happens to Peter. Out of his confidence, Peter said, Lord, call me out and I'm coming. So Peter again jumps out of the boat full of confidence, eyes on Jesus. All of a sudden, his eyes shift away from Jesus. He sees the wind and the waves. He begins to sink. 
Now, here's the reality, right? Like, can Peter control all the stuff that's going around him, going on around him? Can he control the wind? Can he control the waves? No. Peter can't control the wind and the waves. He can't control the circumstances that surround him. But here's what he can control. He can control his vision. He can control who's before him. He can control who he's looking at. We may not be able to control the circumstances that we have living in a broken world. But what we can do is we can control who we focus on. We can control who the priority is. Peter becomes distracted by all that's happening around him that he takes his eyes off of Jesus. But notice how Jesus responds to him because this is really important. In verse 30, Peter calls out, he says, Lord, save me. And notice this. Jesus immediately, he doesn't wait. He doesn't linger. He doesn't let let Peter learn his lesson. Immediately, Peter, or, or Jesus reaches down his hand. He takes hold of him. And the text says that Jesus pulls him up out of the water. And he says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt me in the midst of the storm? Why did you look at the wind and the waves when I'm standing right before you? Why did you look at all this stuff when I'm in the boat with you? You know, in the first part of the story, it's interesting because Jesus doesn't rebuke them for their fear of the wind and the waves, things that they can't control. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Notice that. He didn't, he didn't look at the disciples and go, hey, why are you all so afraid of this? Why are you afraid of the wind and the waves? He didn't, he didn't rebuke them. But here, he does rebuke Peter. He rebukes him. He says, hey, why'd you take your eyes off me? I know you can't control this, but you can control where your eyes land. And yet, even in the midst of Peter's doubting, even in the midst of your doubting and my doubting, Jesus reaches down and he pulls Peter out of the water. I want you to be reminded this morning that even when we lose our focus and we begin to sink under the weight of our circumstances, if we turn to him for help, Jesus quickly reaches his hand down into the water, pulls us up, and invites us to continue following him. Isn't that great? Like, that's great news for you and for me. Because I don't know about you, but it doesn't seem like there's a day that goes by that I don't look for the wind and the waves. Like, even, I mean, my feet hit the floor, and I'm already thinking about the wind and the waves. When I lay my head down at night and the silence happens, I'm thinking about all the wind and the waves. And so this is a conscious reminder that when our mind is focused on the wind and the waves, the one who has overcome the world is not only in our boat, but invites us to repent, to confess, and to come back to him and enjoy his power in the midst of the storm. He's right there with us. He's right there in the midst of our poor decisions. He's right there in the midst of our diagnosis. He's right there in the midst of our unemployment. He's right there in the midst of our loneliness. He's right there in the midst of you fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you have going on in your life right now, Jesus is in the midst of it all. 
If only we would make him a priority. If only we would make him the priority. Now, here's the fourth thing, the fourth way in which you and I often can allow our eyes to shift off of Jesus are things that we think that we can't control, but we really can. Did you know that you have those in your life? You have things in your life right now that you think, I can't control this, but in reality, you can. Here's the best example of it. You ready? This bad boy. Y'all know what this is? Isn't that a great picture? That's a great picture. This right here, it's called a cell phone. It's a cell phone. This right here could be, if not is, the most distracting thing that you have in your life that is pulling your attention away from the priority of your life and onto the rest of the wind and the waves. And get, don't get me wrong, like I love this thing. I love, as a matter of fact, I love this. Did you know, this is pretty wild, did you know that the average person looks at their cell phone 352 times a day? That's bad, y'all. Hey, and that's not just a young person problem. Believe me, go to a restaurant and look around. Right? Hey, everybody's got their phones out. They're not even talking. I took a picture the other day. I shouldn't have done this. I'm confessing. (laughs) I took a picture the other day of a couple who were sitting at dinner, and I was going to use it, but I can't find it. Um, (laughs) I know, and thank God, because it probably saved me. Um, if you're in here, I'm sorry. Um, but I took a picture of this couple who was out on a date and both of them are on their phone and everything in me, I'm thinking, man, how long is this going to last? Right? I mean, this is who, this is our culture from 2019. Okay. The, the amount of times that we look at our phone per day has increased four times since 2019. What's going to happen in the next four years? That is the equivalent of looking at our phones once every three minutes. Once every three minutes, we're looking at our phone. And you probably feel that, right? Like if you don't have your phone, you leave the house without your phone, there's a little anxiety there. If, you know, every couple minutes, it's like, oh man, it's like you just got to touch it. Is it still there? Right? We do that. Like with this little device, we can connect with people near and far. We can connect to work. You got your, you got your work email on this bad boy, right? I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, if somebody calls me and I don't call them back within an hour, guess what happens? Then I get an email. And if I don't email them back within a couple hours, then I get a text message, right? Here's the deal, right? I've got work on this silly thing, right? News happened in all of the world in live, in the moment, I can, I can see what's happening all the way across the world with this thing. 30 years ago, who would have thought that you and I would be in this place worth in our po- pocket, we can be connected to the entire world. But here's the reality. We are so connected with friends through social media and TikTok and Instagram and all that stuff, all the stuff, so connected to our friends, to our work, to the news and to the world and all the things that are swirling around, my goodness. We're so connected with everything else that it leaves very little room for us to connect with God. 
And y'all, here's the reality, because I'm going to shoot you straight, because you know me, I'd like to shoot you straight. We wonder why we're anxious, depressed, fearful, and all these things. It's because we have the wind and the waves right here. We take this into the boat with us. And it's killing us. It's killing you. It's killing me. It's killing us as a church because because of this thing, as good as it is, and man, I love this thing. I mean, I'm thankful for this thing. I mean, with my... With FaceTime, I can, I can FaceTime with my kiddos and they get to see their grandparents who live six hours away. I mean, it is a beautiful, amazing tool. But the reality is, is that you and I can, at any given moment, take a good thing and make it bad. We can take a good thing and we can make it bad. And again, we wonder why in the world are we so bent out of shape and worked up and anxious? Did you know that we are the most anxious society in the history of humankind. We are the most lonely. There's a great book, it's called Bowling Alone. Uh, Robert Putman wrote it and he's a sociologist and he talks about, you know, we're the most connected society in the world, human history, and yet we are the most lonely society in human history. That's a problem, that's a problem. And I think at the end of the day, it's because our focus has been shifted. Christ is no longer the priority. Everything else is. And it's easy for everything else to be the priority over him. But when he's not the priority, we find ourselves sinking beneath the weight of the world and we don't know why. And I'm telling you, it's because Christ is not our priority. I mean, that's the heart of why we're talking about this is because I I don't want you to sink anymore. I don't want to sink anymore. I'm tired of doggy paddling in the ocean of all these fears and worries and anxieties. And I think if we would cultivate uh, cultivate a life with God and we make him the priority, we wouldn't have to be doing that. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't the the idea of peace, do you remember that? You remember, remember a thing called peace? Yeah? Wouldn't it be great to have that in your life? Wouldn't it be great to not fear? Uh, There's this whole thing called FOMO, fear of missing out. Wouldn't it be great if we could just rest and be content with what we have and we're not chasing who's this person's vacation or this person's that or this, all the stuff. Wouldn't it be great if you and I could just take a break and take a breather and go, oh man, I'm just content with where I am. Well, the first step to be content with your life is to make Christ the priority. Now, here's how the story ends. Peter and Jesus get back in the boat. This is verse 32. It says, when Peter and Jesus gets back in the boat, the wind ceased. The wind ceased. And those in the boat, notice what happened. Notice what those people in the boat, what they did. Notice what the disciples did. It says that they worshiped him, saying, you truly are the son of God. I love this. When Jesus gets back into the boat, they worship him and they declare him the son of God. When Jesus got into the boat, their eyes shifted back toward him. What was happening all of the round, around them became of less importance, right? It's not that the storm dissipated, although in their case it did. The storm ceased. The text tells us the storm ceased to exist. But I think in reality, I've often wondered, did the storm actually cease 
Or did Jesus become so big and so important in their life that everything around them seemed like it ceased? How big is Jesus in your life? Is Jesus big enough to handle the wind and the waves of your life? How big is he? Where's your focus? Is it really on him? Or is it on all the things that are going on around us? I think if we got to the heart of the matter, I think at the end of the day, we, I think, again, if, if we're gonna be honest, I think we need, and I think we need to be, right? To take a step toward healing, that means we've gotta be honest with the reality. And the reality is, I think, so easy to shift our focus that each day we find ourselves with our focus just a little out of place. You know, I was thinking about the disciples and their experience with, the, with Jesus. I think the disciples are learning that he's not so much taking them to a destination, but he's helping them see that he is the destination. I think that's what this story teaches us is that in failure and success, when things happen that we can't control, things that happen that we can't control, at the end of the day, Jesus is the prize. He's the prize. He's the prize for you. He's the prize for me. He is the destination. So I'm thinking about it. If Jesus is the destination, am I sitting there? Am I looking over his shoulder for the next thing, the next thing to entertain me, the next thing to satisfy me? Or am I just content with Jesus being in my boat? As we talk about this over the next eight weeks of how, how do we cultivate this life with God? How do we make him the priority? What I want you to be thinking about is, am I good with Jesus being in the boat? Or do I need something else? Because that something else is always gonna be the anchor that's causing you to sink beneath the wind and the waves. Whereas if Jesus is the priority and he's in your boat, we can experience peace, we can experience joy, we can experience things that the world could never experience apart from Jesus. While the world is focused on the wind and the waves, we're gonna be focused on Jesus. That's gonna be who we are. And as you do that, and because you're the church and the church is individuals, it's the corporate gathering of individuals, as you make Christ the priority, and as we make Christ the priority, here's the deal we become a healthy, thriving church that can survive anything. And that's what we wanna be. We wanna be a church that survives as we cultivate a life with God and we make him the priority. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today, Lord, and I thank you that you're in the boat. I thank you that, Father, as though, you know, there's things that happen in the world, things we can control, things we can't control. God, things that we can't control even when we think that, that we can't. And yet all the while, Father, you're in the boat and you're whispering in our ear, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And yet over and over and over again, Lord, we allow our circumstances to cloud our vision and to block our ears from hearing the very words that offer peace and rest to our souls. And so, Lord, I pray, I pray that we would take up Jesus's invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight that we would come to you and we would find rest that we would abide in you. God, that we would tether our lives to you, making you the priority, that we would, again, bear fruit, Father, that we would allow you 
to trim and to prune and to make us into the people that you would have us to be, that you would make us into the healthy, thriving church that you would have us to be, Lord. Give us a vision for that. Help us see how to make you a priority in our lives. Father, you're the most important thing. Remind us of that this morning. Remind us of that over the next eight weeks as we study how we cultivate a life with you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.